Welcome to another edition of Conversations with Creative Women. I'm Sandy Klein. Lauren Molina might be five feet, four inches tall, but she's larger than life. The award-winning actress, musician, singer-songwriter, who also performs with her highly popular comedic undie rock band, The Skivvies, she sings and plays the cello, has a list of credits that towers over her. Briefly, Lauren's Broadway roles include Johanna and the revival of Sweeney Todd with Patti Lapone and Michael Cerveris. She was the original Regina in the 80s musical Rock of Ages. Off-Broadway, Lauren originated the role of the lovable, ballsy harlot Bella Rose in Desperate Measures, based on Shakespeare's Measure for Measure, and described as a musical comedy gone wild. I saw this show, and I loved it. Her acting career has taken her to the Goodman Theater, Shakespeare Theater, Yale Rep, Cleveland Playhouse, the Old Globe, the Williamstown Theater Festival, just to name a few. Lauren was a featured singer at the Ladies Who Sing Sondheim concert with Barbara Cook and Patti LuPone at the Westport Playhouse, was a soloist at the Tribute for Angela Lansbury with Tyne Daly and Christine Ebersole at Bucks County Playhouse. She has performed in various workshops and master classes with Broadway composers and members of the New York City Opera, as well as the Detroit Symphony. Oh, speaking of Detroit, that's where Lauren was born and raised. She got her BFA in musical theater at the University of Michigan. So let's meet and get to know this talented actress. Lauren, thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. And wow, what a description. Yeah. You nailed it. <laughs> when you were growing up, and I like to ask this of actresses, were you the one like Judy Garland putting plays on in the barn in the backyard? Absolutely. I had a puppet theater. I was playing with costumes. I was setting up my Barbies and my my little ponies in, you know, different scenes and, and setups. And absolutely, I was, uh, you know, casting and directing and acting <laughs> and dancing and making my little sister dance. And yes, I was definitely a little uh, performer. Diva-ish? <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say diva. I was Obnoxious. But, yes. Um, but yes, I, I love to uh, use my imagination. I was a very creative kid and, you know, never realized that I would go into acting until later in life. You know, it just came so naturally to me. And I always thought it was a really fun hobby, singing and acting and dancing and moving. But, you know, I came from a very musical and uh, artsy family. Well, my, that's big, right? That you were yeah, exposed. I was from a very young age. Mm-hmm. My father, uh, the assistant principal, bassist with the Detroit Symphony, and he's also the oh, hello. personnel mm-hmm. manager. Mm-hmm. And then my mother, a dancer. And, uh, you know, so it, it's in my blood. But I was always very academic growing up. And it wasn't until I went to the University of Michigan. I didn't start there as a musical theater major, but I um, soon figured out after being um, in my first year at school in liberal arts, uh, just literature, sciences, and the arts, and then auditioning for the music school choir and then being promoted to the highest choir uh, in my first year. And I was like, wow, people think I'm a good singer. Hmm. You mean you didn't have a sense of that growing up? You didn't sing in the choir in high school? You didn't? Go, uh, you weren't in the school plays? I was in every school play oh, and musical. Right. Yes, uh-huh. yes. Um, so but, obviously you could sing. I mean, you may yes. not have been Ethel Merman, right, you know, then, right. but who well, cares? But I'll tell you what. So my, my senior year, when I was like, should I go to school for for voice. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't get into my top choices. So I thought, oh, okay, well, I guess it's not going to go that path for me. And, and um, you were okay with that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I was, I was like, all right, you know, I'll just be academic. I can do extracurricular, you know, musical theater and extracurricular singing. I was not in choir at school because, I, like, like I said, I was very academic. So I had to choose my, 
my, you know, extracurriculars. Sure. I was in you had to be student judicious. government. Yeah, I was in um, orchestra. I was in the plays and the musicals. I ran track. Um, <laughs> I was, you know, I was very active. But yeah, so I just had to choose my 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 groups or whatever. And so there's only so much time in the day. And even though I, I loved to sing, I um, I didn't think I was going to make a career of it. And who knew? Look at me now. <laughs> Um, but, uh, but I'm, I'm sort of glad that this, the path that I took went the way that it did because it really allowed me to, um, get deep into my academics and I was really into science. I thought I was going to be a veterinarian for the longest time. I love animals and now I use my love, uh, for animals and I foster kittens and cats through the animal uh-huh. care centers of New York and, uh-huh. you know, I have to administer medicine to them daily and, you know, so I get to use that in my real life, but I just don't have it as a job. You know, but anyway, so like while I was at the University of Michigan, I uh, I auditioned for the, the you know extracurricular school plays um, that were student run my freshman year, and then my I was like, okay, you know what? I feel like I could do this, um, and I auditioned for the music school, and then I got into the uh, the voice program as a sophomore, and after being a voice major for a year. I thought to myself, you know, as much as opera is wonderful. Oh, uh, that's where you thought you would be headed? Yes. Okay. I don't connect with it as much as I wanted to. Mm-hmm. And I felt like the opera uh, majors weren't really my tribe of people. And I wanted to act. And I felt like the acting was getting looked over. And I, it was just all about the vocal production. And, um, you know, I wanted... To I wanted to sing in a language that could be easily communicated. For so sure, yeah. Even though I love speaking other languages, mm-hmm. I I wanted to study you know singing in English and and communicating and um, telling a story. And then my junior year, I was lucky enough to get accepted into the musical theater program at the University of Michigan, which is an incredible program, very hard to get into. I got in as a transfer, obviously, and since I had already um, done my first year music school requirements as a voice major and, you know, had all these academics. Uh, What I love about Michigan is that it isn't a conservatory, so you can get a really great education that's well-rounded. Touch a lot of bases. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And so... Anyway, I transferred in as a as a junior and um, really got a, a great, well-rounded education as a musical theater performer. What's great is I could sort of tailor it to who I am as a quirky, belting soprano who isn't going to be the the star of you know any ensemble dance track, <laughs> you know, but um, but really focus on my acting and and focus on communicating a song. And I think that really helped me as I graduated and um you know but you know what strikes me is I'm thinking about what you were saying that somebody said to you at some point you know you, you don't have a great voice or whatever and then I'm watching in the show Desperate Measures. I mean, you have a fabulous singing voice. Yeah, no one ever told me I didn't have a great voice. Those programs are just I mean like, I, you know, I tried to get into Brown and Yale, and those were my top choices, mm-hmm. and Northwestern. So it wasn't like anybody was just like you. Being dismissive, necessarily. No, 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 no. It's mm-hmm. just like my SAT scores weren't high enough mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. for the schools that I really wanted to get well, into. Well, who needs them anyway? Yeah, you know? and so Michigan was my backup school. So I really feel like my path was set out for me at a young age and really cultivated who I am Mm -hmm. as a performer. 
And yes, I I love comedy. I love drama. I love language. I love singing all different styles. And it shows in my resume, you know, from belting out 80s rock music to singing high legit soprano. You know, I've played Kunagunda and Candide. Mm-hmm. I've played, you know, Joanna and Sweeney Todd. Um, you know, the versatility is uh, something that I... I pride myself in, and I love to be chameleonic with the roles that I dive into. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So, um, fortunately, I've been able to manipulate my voice too. We know it strikes those. me. You use the word versatility, which I didn't think of because you know what went through my mind: eclectic. Mm-hmm. And that's not a negative term. When you list not necessarily your credits, but who you are and what you've done, your career is incredibly layered. I wonder how common that is. Well. I remember early on in my career, I met Jason Alexander, and I was like, do you have any piece of advice for a young, aspiring artist? Mm -hmm. And he said, create your own work, because you shouldn't wait for somebody else to give you a job. And I took that to heart. And so I've always been somebody to write my own songs and to write music and to really love the act of collaboration. Mm -hmm. And I think that has really been a huge part of my my process in my career is finding the people who really inspire me and stimulate me. And feed yes. off of them in a sense, yes. in a good way. Absolutely. So let's go back to the University of Michigan. So you graduate. And now is it one of those examples of getting on the turnip truck and coming to New York? Woo, sure is. So <laughs> it was August 14th. 2003, I filled up my Buick Century that my ex-boyfriend's dad sold me for a dollar. <laughs> and you knew you were heading out. Yep. I packed up the car. I drove in. It was the day of the blackout. So oh. <laughs> I don't know if you remember that. <laughs> oh, I sure do. I covered it as a news person. Oh, yeah. And mm-hmm. so I was like, I think this is an omen. You know, I'm arriving when there's no electricity and everyone's outside drinking beer. And Did so, you know where you were going? I don't mean literally New York. I mean, did you have did so you I was very ducks up? Yeah. So I was very fortunate. My family uh, is from New York. So I was able to stay at my grandmother's place. She was a snowbird at the time. Uh-huh. So I got to to move into my grandmother's place for free and not have to stress about paying rent um, when I first moved to the city, which is huge. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't oh, have sure. to wait tables and, you know, stress about making those dollars. In the very early days of me moving here, I booked a cruise ship to be a lead singer on a cruise ship. Well, what does that mean? How did you do that? Before I drove in, there were some auditions in Michigan for Holland America. So I booked the job, and the week before, I was supposed to fly to L.A. where they rehearse you for the cruise ship gig. So a week before, my car gets stolen in New York City, and I call Holland Welcome America. Welcome to the Big Apple. And I say, hey, can you um, change my point-of-origin ticket? My car got stolen to New York to L.A., and they're like, sorry. It's not equity, so they don't have to take care of you in that way. So I had to buy my, change my own, you know, pay for my change fee. I fly out there. I rehearse for a week and a half, and they bring me in to HR, and they're like, Lauren, you are doing an amazing job, but here um, on the cruise that you're going to, you know, go in and replace this other girl, she decided last minute she wants to extend her contract. She has a boyfriend on the ship, and it's really a good situation, so it's cheaper for us to keep her than to 
to keep you around, and you're not covered by any union, so they can just fire you at You're persona non grata, huh? So then I was like, great. So I literally got fired. They flew me back to Michigan, which was my point of origin. I was like, okay, you know what? This sucks, but I'm just going to, you know, go with it. Mm -hmm. It was around the time of Thanksgiving. I was hanging out with my dad, and I get a phone call saying— you know that audition that you did in New York a couple weeks ago from TheaterWorks USA? Well, the girl that uh, you went in for uh, just booked a Broadway show, so you were the next in line. So I booked a union production of the Just So Stories. To just jump around a little, you said, how did I get a job? So when you graduate from the University of Michigan, you do a senior showcase, and they invite casting agents and um and That's pretty typical. Yes, in those and also departments. Yeah. regular mm-hmm. agents to mm-hmm. come. Right. So I got an agent out of that. Pretty quickly then. Pretty quickly. Oh, that's yes, great. Yes. But I will say my very early days, people are like, what is she? Is she trying to categorize you? Yes, mm-hmm. yes, yes, exactly. Because I wasn't like a typical, just beautiful ingenue right. thing. And I wasn't super charactery. Um, although now that you've seen me, I am both of those things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, in my early years, you know, people were like, which direction is she? We want to box her up, you know, in a pretty little package and um, and know which category. But it turns out like, I'm a little of everything. So I, I get to the the theater works tour. I get my equity card. I meet my best friend, Nick Searley, who then will turn out to be in my life, my skivvies partner and partner in crime and, you know, most fruitful collaborator in life. So we, we drove a van across the country doing the Just So stories. It's this Rudyard Kipling collection of stories of how the leopard gets its spots and mm-hmm. the elephant gets its trunk. Under and, the theater works uh, banner. Yes. yes. Ex- it's theater for children. Correct. Um, and and, uh, you know, we say we performed in the grandest cafetorium <laughs> of the land. <laughs> That's right. So after that, I came back to the city and I, I booked a little musicals and Mufti show at the York Theater and a little um, Meet Me in St. Louis as an ensemble member in um, musicals tonight. And then Nick calls me up while I'm riding the bus back to Riverdale and says, Lauren. That was back when you got the breakdowns in Backstage magazine. Mm-hmm. And um, he was like, there's an audition for Joanna in Sweeney Todd who has to play the cello. And I was like, oh, my God, if I don't get this part, then I'm not supposed to be an actor here in New York. And what year is this? 2004. And at the time, I was um, doing a um, survival job that a friend kind of hooked me up with with this temp agency at a high-end diamond jewelry company where I'm I in, in the course of a week, I went from being um, a secretary answering phones to assisting the the accountant and doing like accounts receivables and payables and t- basically just a job I never imagined that I would have. Because, they didn't pay you in diamonds, did they? Yeah. <laughs> well, on my opening night of Sweeney Todd, they dressed me in diamonds. <laughs> I felt so nervous walking around in like $30,000 yellow diamond. Uh-huh. So while I was working there, I... Um, I was like, I'll work here if I can be allowed to go on auditions, of course. Exactly. That's, and they did. Right. And after four auditions, I ended up with, you know, the final callback for Stephen Sondheim sitting there five feet away. Knees knocking? I mean, a little, yes. Mm-hmm. And it was a really incredible experience. So, yeah, then my Broadway debut, and as Patti Lapone said to me on the first day of rehearsals, it doesn't get any better than this, and it's all downhill from here. <laughs> I was like, thanks a lot, Patty. Yeah, really. I mean, I'm sure you've had your moments of. Of disappointment or whatever. Because oh, my God. That, yes. That only sort of stands to reason. But I don't want to necessarily jump around, but 
we have to also talk about the birth of your undie rock band. I will tell you that I saw a bunch of your YouTube videos. I mean, they are hilarious. How in God's name was that born? And, I mean, at the risk of stating the obvious, undie as in you and your partner, Nick, wear underwear on the stage. Why? (laughs) So why? Why? Exactly. And how and when? Okay. So, like I said, Nick and I met in 2003. It was in, it was six years ago now. And uh, so 2012, we were hanging out one day. And let me just mention that when Nick and I got back from that theater works tour in 2003, we started making music together with our clothes on, (laughs) performing at the duplex at the Lori Beachman, you know, in the cabaret kind of setting. And it would be, you know, Lauren Molino, a special guest, Nick Searley. And um, did you sing your own work or you sang from the show? Both. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. we would do we would do some mashups and some medleys. But, you know, it was more traditional. And then it wasn't until we were hanging out one day six years ago in my living room and we thought, you know, let's put a cover song up on YouTube. Let's do a stripped-down version of Rihanna's We Found Love. So we um, we made it into a ballad. It's typically a very techno-driven, electronic-sounding song, overly produced, like auto-tune, affectation on the voice and instruments. And so um, we made it a ballad with guitar and ukulele. I set up the video camera, and I was walking around my bedroom in my bra, and I was like, Nick, what should I wear for this video? <laughs> he says, why don't you just wear that? And I was like, actually, we are stripping down the music. What if we did a whole <laughs> stripped-down series for YouTube and never commented on it? And then from just the, And made it appear just like the most natural act in the world. Yeah, just mm-hmm. like stripped-down mm-hmm. stripped series with mm-hmm. Nick and Lauren. Uh-huh. Uh, and then my boyfriend yells, you should, you should call yourselves the Skivvies. And we're like, that's actually a really good name. And so we started making these videos, and they started to go viral. And then they, uh, fans started asking, when are you going to do a live show? So we were like, let's plan a live show. And our first one was like four months later at Joe's Pub. Huge. Sold place. out. Yeah, huge venue. Uh huh. We invited a bunch of our Broadway friends to join us as special guests. And it's honestly the oldest trick in the book. You take off your clothes and people notice you. But when you can back it up with clever arrangements, fabulous singing. They forget that you're half naked. That's right. Yeah. yeah. That's right. That's a really and, good point. And the um, the idea is, is it's a fun pajama party. It's not anything grotesque or burlesque in a way that's sexually yeah, suggestive. Yeah. It's not about that. It's about the music and it's about the fun and wearing, being body positive and, you know, accepting all shapes and sizes and, and not feeling like you have to adhere to one, you know, size zero. That's not what we're about. When you have your guests come, do they strip down? Yeah, they wear whatever they feel comfortable in. Oh, so it, it doesn't matter. I yeah. mean, it could be underwear or it could, it be, could be a onesie, a, a robe. Yeah. Yes, uh-huh. a, a dog suit. Yeah. You know, <laughs> honestly, we've had it all. And uh, so, you know, we love to challenge ourselves to c- continually think of new arrangements and mashups that are, it kind of feels like we have our own talk show mm-hmm. because no shows are ever the same. We always have new music, new banter that's kind of influenced by the... What's going on in the world? Exactly. Yeah. And I bet um, you have a lot to talk about. Yeah. Although it could be a great escape. It is. And that's what we try to be. We And that's what we say. You know, we can spout our political views, which we do, and we can infuse them in song form, which we do. We can also then have a release. We have a great arrangement of... It's a mashup of Don't Worry, Be Happy and Four Non Blondes, What's Up? And it's... uh, 
the audience sings along and it's it's this uh it's this great anthem of you know what's going on and don't worry be happy and uh it really feels feels empowering powerful. empowering yes 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 and um you know that's all we can do is is continue to encourage people to use their voices to tell people that they should care about one another and hashtag resist mm-hmm. obviously mm-hmm. um but but yeah when you come to a show it's an escape. It makes you feel good. It makes you think. It surprises you and just brings you joy. We all need that. How do you marry, literally, performing with that band while you're in a show? I do do both. I And talk about that with the fact that Desperate Measures, which is a huge hit, yes. you know, off-Broadway, and that you would be performing the two of you or maybe not so much. I mean, what what yeah. what's that balance like or do you not have a balance? Well, it's... Um, you know, we book shows far in advance. We have to. You know, we try to do a one, at least one show a month in New York. And then we have uh, been very lucky to have touring bookings like all over the country. So when they were this far in advance for we, we sort of got a last minute transfer into New World Stages because mm-hmm. Desperate the show Measures. Yes, yes. Desperate Measures was at the York Theater. And then we found out in early spring that we were going to be transferring to New World Stages. Which is in May. Near Broadway, but off Broadway. These yes. are off Broadway venues. Off Broadway mm-hmm. venue, mm-hmm. yes. Um, and it's off Broadway because of the size of the theater. It's the um, intimacy. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The difference between Broadway and off Broadway. Everything is in the vicinity of the um, theater district, but off Broadway is 500 seats or less, and Broadway is f- 500 seats or more. And then off-off-Broadway is technically 99 seats or below. So it's all about the different contracts and, like, the amount of money you're making. Right, and, you right. Know, so that's the technically the Broadway. take is different, obviously, in a smaller theater. That's right. That's right. So how do I balance? Well, you know, I got in my... In my original contract, I said, these are the days. If you're going to hire me, you're going to hire the the skivvy, you know, and um, I, I need to have these certain days off. So I have an understudy who goes on on the days that I can't be at a Desperate Measures show because I'm doing a skivvy's show. Mm-hmm. But in general, I like to plan skivvy's shows on nights where I'm when you're not working, yeah. When mm-hmm. I'm not doing Desperate mm-hmm. Measures. So that's a Sunday night or a Tuesday, which is a little different than a normal You're not dark on Monday? No, not at New World Stages. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't know that. Is it hard to kind of muster the enthusiasm? I mean, it's a physical show. It's a hilarious show, but they're just, oh, it's time to make the donuts. Yeah, of course. I mean, with anything, it's it can be a, a slog. But fortunately, this music and um, this company, they're so fun. And it's it's an infectious uh, energy of happiness and goofiness right. and comedy. Yeah, hilarity, yeah. That, mm-hmm. you know, I, I'll tell you that even when I'm super tired and my voice is tired and I've just come off of like three skivvies shows and now I have to do four desperate measures shows and I'm like, when am I going to get a break? Just trying to take care of myself with drinking throat coat tea and <laughs> steaming and drinking water. Sitting and, in a hot tub. Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> I just have to suck it up and be grateful that I get to live the dream. I'm literally creating work with my best friend that I'm passionate about, that I have fun doing, that I get paid for. And then I get to go entertain New York audiences. I mean, being a performer in a New York theater is the dream. I mean, New York theater doesn't get any better. No, it sure as hell and, doesn't. And so when I'm feeling tired, I can grumble, 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 but put on my face and go turn it out. And you're still amenable to going on tour? If the right role comes around that is definitely worth it, absolutely I'll go out of town. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Yeah, I love traveling. Obviously, um, you know, it just has to be worth my time and my energy and my creative spirit. How do you also feel about performing in other venues, as in film or television, or is live theater basically your M.O.? It's been my M.O. because that's who's hired me. Yes. Uh-huh. I have um, done some TV. I have done some film, but mm-hmm. um, nothing major. I mean, I was on The Good Wife. I guess that's the most major. Everyone <laughs> would know. Uh-huh. Um, I, In terms of straight acting. I would yeah. love to get into more straight acting. I would love to have book a pilot and have a comedy sitcom. Mm-hmm. I would love to. I mean, I've even written some pilots and some um, specs. I've Why done, not, Lauren? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I in all my copious free time. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I've I've created content w- um, with my friends at Rock of Ages. We had a web series. I've dabbled dabbled in the w- web series world. It's called Rock of Ages Productions. You can mm-hmm. look that up. But I would love to get more into film and TV. It's just that the theater world has really embraced me. So it's just a matter of breaking through that new door of casting and getting yeah, making have, people yeah. trust you. Mm-hmm. And you know, this all sort of begs the question: Do you ever do nothing, Lauren? It's rare. And I love it. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, I thrive when I am working and creating and being around people. Doing nothing, uh, that's usually like when I get home and I'm sitting with my my domestic partner and my cats and we can like binge watch a couple episodes of something. That's my relax and release. You're young. I mean, I was doing the math in my head that you came to New York in 2003, so you were obviously in your early 20s, and that's 15 years ago, so that makes you in your 30s, and that's fabulous. Do you stand back and say, holy sh**? I do, and and I am so grateful, and I am in shock sometimes at how much I've done, but at the same time, I look at some of my peers and I'm like, wow, look at them on that level. So it's not like, I know you can't compare yourself to other people and like feel less than, mm-hmm. um, but you know, I look at some of my my colleagues who are also in musical theater. Are you talking about your contemporaries? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So people similar age to you? Exactly. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm, uh, I just turned well, should I say? Yes, of okay. course. <laughs> I just turned 37. But, you know, I still read upper 20s. <laughs> people uh-huh. people think I'm like 28, 29, mm-hmm. um, which I love. I've got great skin. Yeah. And I have my mother to thank for that. <laughs> so, you know, I look at people like my friends, Laura Benanti or Anna Lee Ashford, who are kind of like at the next level mm-hmm. of um, being Broadway stars and TV stars. And I think, hmm, what sh- what would I need to do to get to that level? But I know that, you know, they've had like more leading roles on Broadway and more, you know, so it's just like, yes, I've done a ton of stuff. But, you know, then I'm like, oh, how can I take it to the next level, even though I'm so satisfied where I am? So it's, you can't I guess really... there's that d- dilemma of complacency versus aspiring to be bigger or whatever. Yeah, you know, that people... conflict can be sometimes really fraught and annoying. Yeah, so I know? mean, yes, I can say like, oh my gosh, my career has gone from this to that to this to that. To... And it's like, you know, it's grown so much and I have, I've played, you know, everything from Audrey and Little Shop to, you know you know, obviously the Broadway credits and I've done so much Sondheim. I've got to work with him and, and, uh, you know, but there's still so much more I would love to do and, you know, roles that haven't been written yet that I want to create. And I, I'm just very lucky that I, I get to do what I do in a, in a place that I love and often with 
friends and people that I... Well, at the same level, it's lucky for us that we get to see you do all those things. It's, again, an eclectic, versatile, terrific career from my perspective looking at you, you know, and... um, what a great feeling. I mean, who knew? Who, Back in the day in who, Detroit, in Detroit right? Yeah, I was a precocious little kid. And, uh, you know, I, I knew I would dive in hard to whatever I I chose to do. As well, that's patently obvious. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, much more continued success. And I'm really going to make sure to see the skivvies live and in person. I would really love to do that. And I again, it was just complete happenstance to have gone in with a friend who said, my aunt has seen desperate measures about half a dozen times. Ah! I said, you're kidding. And so we went and lo and behold, she was right. It was fabulous. People, it was so much fun. People love desperate measures. Like I said, it's just infectious joy. It's so entertaining. It's clever. It's funny. And the singing is great. The lyrics and book are just so smart. And we dive into the stupid farce of it all with the tone and and the comedy and the slapstick and the physical comedy. And it's just rare for me to have a role for a woman that's such a comedian Mm -hmm. is and sexy too. Oh yeah, you know, yeah. It, it's you know, you're like, such a seminal part of that show. Well, it's only six actors. That's right. You know, everybody's got a you know a big chunk there. But I feel so lucky to have that. Role. Well, it was just a great evening, Lauren. Thanks so much for uh, sharing your story with me. It was fascinating. Thank you. Join us for another edition of Conversations with Creative Women. I'm Sandy Klein. But I'm